Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our sponsor, Equithrive. This one goes out to all the horses with the crusty necks, fleshy backs, and girthy middles. The horses who gain a few extra pounds simply by breathing air. The easy keepers on limited pastures. The folks at Equithrive know there is nothing easy about easy keepers. That's why they have formulated products just for you. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support, all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com. So I feel like I should preface this episode with I never wanted this podcast to be about me or you know, I never wanted to be the subject of an episode. But I have been asked several times about the hoof rehab facility that I've opened and I've had requests from several people asking if they could interview me about how it came to be and what it is and what kind of cases are coming in. And so when Molly Murphy reached out to me, who is a wonderful friend and client of mine, and asked if she could be the one to ask me questions about this facility, I decided, what the heck, I'll give it a shot and see what you guys think. Well, I'm so excited to get to be here today to talk to you about opening the Humble Hoof Rehab. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. I'm excited to learn more about it. I think anyone who knows you knows that your rehab was definitely going to happen. It was just a matter of when and how. It has just been such a joy watching you go from a dream to reality. It's really here. Yeah. Uh, so much hard work, ingenuity, determination like none other, and a ton of people pulling for you. Um, I've really been moved, too, by how hard your husband, Vova, has pulled to make this happen. He knows so well, so intimately, how committed you are to this being a success, and he's doing everything he can to help, despite not really being a horse person. It's been so (laughs) fun to see that. I know. He's so great. I know. I really couldn't have done this without him because he's been there every step of the way. And yeah, so when this all started... Well, really, when we found this property almost a year ago now, and I told him about it, he's like, all right, let's do it. What do we have to do to make it work? He's just right there ready to to pull for us to get it. So he's been awesome. He's the best. It's so moving. And it's having seen the horses interact with him and him interact with the horses. I think he has a gift. I know he does. He really does. Yeah, I think so. He's just like very approachable. I think animals realize that. Yeah, that's great. Well, we all know the rehab is going to help thousands of horses in ways they may have otherwise not had the chance to achieve. And I cannot wait to learn more about what you're doing now. So tell us, what have you done? 
Yeah. So basically I, I bought a property. My husband and I bought a property specifically for the, fo- the purpose of hoof rehab. So getting horses here for a certain amount of time to be able to get them more comfortable in their feet, to get them sounder. And then once they're in a better spot, they can go back home to their their regular boarding situations or their regular, you know, living situations. And then they're hopefully be ready to go back into work and, and, you know, have a productive life after that. Wow. Sounds promising. So how does this kind of rehab work? Yeah. So I feel like, you know, every case that I come to a lot of the times, the things that are wrong with their feet, aren't really things that are wrong with their feet. A lot of times it's their diet, their nutrition, their management, their blood work, their, you know, other environmental issues that are causing them to have hoof issues. So for the longest time, I mean, for almost the last 10 years, I've wanted a property where those things can be controlled to give the horse a chance to grow a healthier foot. So basically just getting them to a point where they're, they're eating a diet that's properly balanced for hoof health. We're removing dietary triggers that might cause hoof issues and we're getting the horses to move biomechanically correct and paying close attention to good hoof care so that they're setting themselves up for success and their body is kind of unraveling all this compensatory issue, all these compensatory issues that they've had, um, that they're dealing with because of their sore feet. So it's sort of giving them the best environment to become the soundest they can be. Wow. Have you seen this approach to rehab work before? Yeah. I mean, even in, in horses in their own home environments, we've worked through a lot of these kind of, uh, I call it kind of like an elimination style rehab where we kind of remove anything that might be causing a problem and see how the horse does. I've seen it work in home, you know, at boarding environments and in people's homes, but a lot of times there are things that owners just can't do where the horse is. And I have visited in 2015, I flew to Rockley Farm Hoof Rehab in England and seeing some of their cases was just incredible. And they had some of some horses with some of the worst x-rays and MRIs. And those horses came back to ridden work and not just ridden work, like flat work, but back to like eventing and fox hunting and fox hunting in the British moors is not, is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these horses are out there doing some crazy things. And I've also visited Redemption Farm Hoof Rehab in Kentucky And just seeing some of these horses that were written off by veterinarians even, or had like an appointment scheduled for euthanasia, come back to strength and soundness was really what inspired me to say that I really want to do this for myself someday and have that option for other horses in this area. After a horse lives at a rehab like yours, do they then need to live in that sort of environment the rest of their lives? I think that kind of depends on the case. So for the most part, horses that go to Rockley Farm, for example, um, they're primarily a navicular rehab and they have horses there only 12 weeks. So only three months. And then they go back home to their normal boarding environment and they see a lot of success. Um, there are some horses though, that for example, are maybe really sensitive to grass. And so if you have a horse that does really well, because we're removing a grass trigger and then they go home and there there's only grass turnout, the owner might have to either 
you know, make a situation that has no grass or, or move them to a different barn. So that's something that's individual to the horse. But otherwise, once you get them growing a stronger foot and then start building up their strength in those internal structures, a lot of times they take that to wherever they go. It's like giving them that head start they needed, and then they can continue building strength in whatever environment they're in. Um, obviously personally, I think that it's best for horses to be moving as much as possible and outside as much as possible and on a diet that is going to be, you know, conducive to, or helpful to growing and keeping those good lamina connections in the feet. So that's something where horses that leave here will get a folder of recommendations that I send along with them. But a lot of times they can go back to a similar environment to what they were in previously. And as long as there's a few little tweaks to make sure that they're getting, what they need, they can do really well. Right. So back to actually starting this rehab, I know it's been certainly a journey to get to where you are now, which is you have a rehab and it's open and you are accepting cases. What got you interested in starting a hoof rehab? Yeah. So I think some people that have listened to the podcast for a long time or have followed the Facebook page have heard about my horse, Vinny. He is a Mustang gelding who had actually pretty nice feet externally and only five months into owning him, he came up lame and it was very subtle at first. It was something where the vet came out for a lameness eval and wouldn't even nerve block him because she said that she wouldn't be able to necessarily tell if the nerve block made him better because the lameness was so subtle, but I could feel it under saddle. I knew he didn't feel quite right. I knew he wasn't moving quite right. I think a lot of times owners just know what's normal for their horse and what isn't. And eventually got to the point where he was lame enough where a nerve block isolated it to his foot and he was diagnosed with pretty severe navicular disease. So he has um, navicular cysts in both front feet. He has bone spurs or enthesiophytes actually in, in all four of his feet, oddly enough. Those are these mm. like little spurs off the sides of his navicular bone. And his front feet, we did end up eventually getting an MRI. His front feet have DDFT damage and adhesions to his collateral ligaments. And when at the time of the MRI, he also also had um, bone edema that was, you know, pretty active. So he had a lot going on and was sort of written off. You know, he was kind of like, oh, well, maybe you can get him comfortable. But in order to do that, you're going to need to do corrective shoeing. And at that time, there was a new drug. Um, I forget if it was Tildrin or Osphos, but it was one of the bisphosphonates that was being pushed for navicular. And, you know, the vet recommended Equiox, just like having him live on Equiox Mm. and said eventually, because it's a quote unquote degenerative disease, he'll eventually need to have a neurectomy or be retired or be euthanized. And Mm. I, um, people that know me know that I'm like really stubborn (laughs) and really determined and really persistent. And I thought, you know, that can't be right because a few weeks ago I was riding him and he felt awesome all the time. And then we went on a trail ride where he suddenly, you know, took a funny step Mm. and now he has to be retired someday. Like it just didn't make sense to me. And so I started just pursuing everything I could to learn more about navicular. And that brought me to a whole bunch of resources. And eventually that's what led me to Rockley Farm. And I knew that I wanted a a property someday. At that point, I knew I couldn't do it right then. I mean, this was again, almost 10 years ago. I wanted a property someday where I could have Vinny 
and he could live there and get better and thrive and be sound and comfortable because I saw horses at Rockley with worse x-rays and worse MRIs than Vinny and they were back out eventing. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe he'll, he would fall into that small percentage that was like a a non-responder, but I wanted to give him that chance. And so basically the last, gosh, when was that? The last eight or nine years have been me working towards getting this property so that I could have a place for horses like Vinny and for Vinny to come to that they could become sound and comfortable and give their owners that, that ability to have their horses, you know, have a sound productive life for the long term. So Vinny gets to come home to that soon, yeah. huh? Yeah, I hope so. We're, we're shooting for March or April. Um, it's, it's tough because he is in a, a free lease situation right now. And I didn't want to just like pluck him right out of that because he lives with some other horses that he's, you know, kind of keeping company and they really love him there. And, uh, they've been so supportive of this whole journey and it's been great. You know, I still see him all the time. He's only, he's only five minutes from where we live now. So I'm almost a little nervous to take him home and cause he loves that. He loves his buddies over there, but he'll have a herd over here. So he'll be good. That's amazing. Well, we're all grateful that Vinny pulled you into this remarkable <laughs> journey. So speaking of the journey, Tell us a little bit about what it's taken to get to this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I feel like it's a never ending journey. You know, I started by shadowing a bunch of different farriers in my area. I apprenticed under Juno Bryan. I worked with Bethlyn Lewis. I've shadowed, I mean, countless farriers. I don't even think I could name them all. And it got to the point where I just needed more. Like I needed to learn more. Um, I joined PHCP, which is Progressive Hoof Care Practitioners, and I went through their entire certification process. In order to do that, that was, oh my goodness, nine mentorships. I had to travel across the country. You know, I've been up and down both coasts working with various mentors for them. I had to do webinars and clinics and conferences and not only that, but I also did things that were not in the program. I worked with Eponamind in California. I went to Root and Riddle in Kentucky. Um, I did some clinics with Daisy Bicking in Pennsylvania, and she also did one here in Massachusetts. Um, I hosted, I've hosted a few clinics with Pete Ramey and a, a bunch of different uh, hoof care providers. Um, this past April, I did one with um, Paige Poss, Derek Poupard, Stuart Muir, Yogi Sharp. And really, it's just been kind of obsessively learning from as many places and as many people as possible, because I knew that if I wanted to have a property that was going to be a rehab property, I wanted to build up my toolbox as much as I could. And I'm still trying to do that. I want to have as much knowledge as possible for any case that comes in. So going through all of that and then visiting as many rehab properties as I could get to has sort of led me to the you know, knowledge that I have now to put that into practice at this place. And a lot of it we've already implemented. We've only been here a month, but we've already I've kind of pulled from all those different places that we've been to, to sort of give these horses the best chance possible. Wonderful. I've had the great honor of getting to visit the rehab. Tell us a little bit about the farm, how you found it, uh, why you think it's the right fit for the Humble Hoof Rehab. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's such a funny story. So Um, I, I feel like I've, I've told people different things depending on, on, um, when I've seen them, because it's, it sort of all kind of fell into place around the same time. 
So this property was listed for sale a few years ago and I saw it and I noticed it and I was like, oh wow, that's a really beautiful property. If that's something that I could never have someday. That was just something where you, like I'm always looking at, at listings online. And then I noticed it, it came, it went off the market a few months later. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't know if somebody had bought it or, or what happened, but it wasn't on the market anymore. And then, um, I kind of always thought about that property and I, one night was just so frustrated that I didn't have, you know, I, I I've wanted a goal of having a hoof rehab for so long. And I kind of got to a point where it was late at night. I was really frustrated that I felt kind of stagnant in that, that goal sort of just, you know, I had this thriving hoof care business of seeing, you know, kind of my maximum number of, of horses a month, but I really just wanted a place where I could bring them home to a property where I ran it. And I was kind of Googled around of, of loans or, you know, how to, do a business mortgage, things like that. And I stumbled across a stall and stable podcast episode with Helena Harris and her husband, Buck. And it was talking about loans specifically for equine businesses. And she was talking about a specific loan to purchase equine property. And I was like, no way, this is exactly what I need. So I reached out to her and she actually coached me through the entire process, which was just amazing. And of course, you know, her helping me with that process didn't mean that I had a property. We had to then find a property. And the first property that popped in my head was this one, the one that we ended up getting. And I mailed a letter to the property owner because I just had the address. I mailed him a letter. And that was about around the same time that I started trimming right next door. So the adjacent property I had gone to started trimming their horses and I... I decided that this is definitely a property that I loved. I loved the location. I loved the hills. The hills on the property reminded me of Rockley Farm and the hills that helped build the top line and, and um, hind end muscles of the horses that were in rehab there. Um, and that was basically the what I knew about the property. So I mailed him a letter. The homeowner got back to me within two or three days. He emailed me. And right away said that he'd be willing to sell, but you know, he, he wanted it to be, you know, he wanted to sell it for a certain price, which I totally understood. Um, and if I was interested that we could go look at it. So it took a little bit of time for us to work with the SBA and make sure we had secured the funds. Cause I didn't want to waste this homeowner's time. And finally, once we came to the property to tour it, cause I, you know, obviously wasn't going to buy a property without seeing it, you know, up close and personal. There were so many things that just were so perfect for what I wanted. Like there is a triple filtration water system for the entire property. And something that I'm always concerned about is iron and manganese in water for horses because it can really mess with their mineral balancing, which then affects their lamina connection and their hoof health. So the fact that that was already taken off of a list of things to worry about was just amazing. He already had two surfaced areas that were almost like half of a track that was already set up. He had already put in um, a, an extensive amount of French drains on the property. So it was mostly dry property. He had um, already, you know, he had a lit riding ring, which to me is great. It's a perk, but, you know, I, I cared more about the rehab than <laughs> the on-site riding. Um, he had, you know, a, a barn that has a really great heated heated tack room and bathroom. So I knew if I was going to be having any clinics or days when people come to visit, like they have a space to go in from out of the cold. Um, there was already a, a run-in shed. There's just so many things about this property that was like, I could basically walk into it 
and set it up for what I wanted for the horses. And one thing that I think had turned off or maybe turned off horse people in the past was that there was no fencing on the property. Um, the homeowner had taken it down when he had sold his last horse. And I loved that because I could then set up the exact fencing I wanted for the track system style turnout. So for me, it was actually less work to have no fencing on the property than to come into a property that had already established fencing that I would have to rework and pull posts out of the ground and, and try to figure out how I was going to deal with what they had already had. So it was, it was just perfect for everything that we needed. And of course there was a house to live in. And I, I think like most horse people, we care more about the land and the barn than the house, but the house is great. And, and it was just, you know, even down to the fact that the doggy doors are the perfect size for our little dog. Like it just, it's felt like the exact perfect place for what I wanted to do. It is an absolute gem. Um, so you do have a thriving hoof care business. Are there horses you see uh, where you think the rehab is what they need above and beyond your regular hoof care? Of course, no need to name any particular horses. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I so I see, you know, uh, a good amount of horses, um, about 200 horses a month. And they, you know, there's always a varying degree of, of boarding situations and, and home environments and things like that. Um, so there are situations where horses, I think the biggest thing is you can change the diet all you want and you can micromanage the what the horse is eating and what the horse is drinking and how many times you're picking out their feet and what thrust treatment you're putting on their hooves. But if those horses aren't able to move, then your progress is going to plateau no matter how much you micromanage them. So I have a lot of instances where the hooves are, are okay. They're doing okay. Um, but usually these horses that aren't moving as much as I'd like to see have a really weak frog or a weak caudal hoof. Um, a lot of them might have low palmer angles because their digital cushion is just not really supporting their coffin bone well. Um, and they're, they're just, you know, they kind of have thinner soles or chronically just not strong feet. And those are horses that I see, I kind of call them stalled feet as in mm -hmm. like in a stall, like these horses, and they might not be standing in a stall all the time, but if they're just standing in one spot where their hay is 10 feet from their water and they're just standing mm -hmm. there, I just don't see those feet strengthening like I do on horses that are moving across acres and acres in order to get from their water to whatever, wherever they're eating. Mm -hmm. And then I do have other cases where, it's usually horses in a boarding environment where the barn will only feed what the barn feeds. And I get it because now that I have my own property, I have specific feeds that I want to feed and I feel strongly about. So I get that barn owners have feeds that they're kind of allegiant to. Um, but in those instances, if the barn isn't able to feed something that's more helpful for hoof health, I see horses that have chronic hoof sensitivity despite regular hoof care or even, you know, a good amount of movement. Or I see horses that are living on grass all the time, even with a muzzle that probably shouldn't be. And they kind of have relapses of laminitis every spring or, you know, horses that they might need an adjustment in their perglide medication and the barn is, you know, 
if you're dealing with, you know, 27 horses, it might be hard to ensure that that one horse is getting, is eating their entire medication dosage every mm-hmm. single day when you're trying to run around and care for so many. So there are some that I feel like given their situation, they're as good as they can get at the moment. But if they could come to something like uh, hoof rehab specific property, property, they could do even better. That makes a lot of sense. So is this you and Vova and a beautiful farm helping horses get sounder for life? Or are there any other equine professionals involved? Yeah, I'm definitely not (laughs) the only one involved. So the really cool thing is that we have a really uh, a great network of of veterinarians and other equine professionals in our area. And my own personal veterinarians, um, Blackbrook Veterinary Services, so Sarah Cook and Derek Cavatorta, they've been my own personal vets for the last decade or so. And they have been really awesome in my whole journey with Vinny. Like they saw him, you know, they diagnosed him with issues. They saw him through a lot of different diagnostics and saw him through his journey to where he's a lot more comfortable and and moving soundly now. And because of that, they've been incredibly helpful in the clinics that I've hosted. And of course they, they don't just work with me. They work with farriers and other professionals all across Massachusetts, New Hampshire. So they see a lot of cases that I don't even see. And so I can go to them and ask them about, you know, hoof cases that, you know, I haven't seen before and they're amazing to bounce ideas off of and they're just really approachable. So I'm super thankful to have them involved. So they are able to, you know, if a new horse comes to the property, they can do a lameness evaluation. They can take radiographs or do diagnostics and they can check progress as the horse is here, um, go through rehab. There's also a really great network of body workers and I have various, you know, body workers that are options for owners. Some owners that come here have a preference for who they usually work with. And if we're in their range, you know, anybody can, any body worker or any owner can have a body worker come. I'm not going to limit it to who comes here. And, you know, we have a full range of options for chiropractic. We have other professionals that have asked or are interested in coming here just to see what's going on and help with any other, you know, interesting cases. Actually, I have a few podcast episodes in the works that have to be edited and published that are with local professionals who are really interested in either coming here for clinics or working on some of the rehab cases that are here. You know, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything, but luckily there are a lot of great professionals who can help when there are cases that sort of are um, confusing or, or different than what I've seen before. That's great. All right. Tell us about a horse who has been through a rehab like the Humble Hoof Rehab. What kind of issues did it have? How did it fare while at the rehab? What happened once the horse went home? Yeah, gosh, I'm trying to think of one of the coolest cases that I saw was actually a horse at Rockley Farm. Obviously, because my rehab is brand new, I can't really give a lot of examples from here, but Rockley Farm is what we're modeling this rehab off of. So this case I saw at Rockley Farm, he, um, I believe that he had some knee injury, something actually higher up the limb. And no matter what they did, this horse could not be sound. So they were, you know, trying to do different kinds of shoeing options or, or, um, different kinds of trims, all these different kinds of options for this horse. And eventually they built this track system and put the horse out on the track 
And I know this is going to sound crazy, but they actually stopped manually trimming this horse's feet. So this horse actually started self-trimming on the track because they wanted to see what he was doing with his own wear patterns. Like what, what, you know, what did this horse, how was this horse moving? And really, I don't know if it was like, I I have horses that self-trim for a little bit so I can see what that hoof is doing on its own and how that horse is moving. Cause it tells you a lot about where that hoof is landing and loading and where it's getting more worn and less worn, where it's flaring. And it tells you a lot about that horse's compensation movement, their confirmation and things like that. But what's interesting about this horse at Rockley was that once he actually started self-trimming, he grew these medial flares. And I think Rockley Farm has a blog post about it. I think it's called the puzzling hoof. So if you Google that, it should come up. But once he grew these crazy medial flares, he suddenly came up sound. And then, you know, when the owner tried to remove those flares and say like, oh, well, this flare is is causing leverage, it's causing problems, we're going to take it away and and make sure that this this isn't causing a problem, that horse went lame again. So they let the horse grow the flares. And with those flares, he, when I saw him in 2015, he had been eventing or back, sorry, I think back fox hunting. He had been back fox hunting for 12 seasons, totally sound. And yeah, so he is a horse that lived, you know, on the property and stayed living on the property. It was one of Nick's personal horses. So he didn't have to go back home anywhere, but I have talked to so many owners that have sent their horses to Rockley and then took them back home and they do, or before COVID, they did a yearly Rockley rehab reunion where horses that had been through Rockley rehab would come back and do a day of like cross country schooling and jumping and trail riding and you know, like a dressage test, like things like that, just to showcase where their horses were. And there are there horses from, you know, all over the UK that would come back and just truck in for this event. And despite going back to a more normal boarding situation, they were back in work and their owners were able to compete with them in this fun little schooling show. So that's great. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our Humble Hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, show jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. So when you say track and track system, what do you mean? Those of us who listen to the podcast avidly know exactly what you mean. But if we're new to this, what is a track? What's a track system? Yeah. So a track system is basically an alternative to a traditional pasture turnout where there, where a horse has an alleyway or a path that it moves from one resource to another. So ideally the horse's source of their water is going to be separate from their source of their hay and basically as far apart as possible. So that horse has to walk a good amount to get from their hay to their water. 
So we know that just like with people, if people are sitting around and doing nothing all day, it affects their joints. It affects their soft tissue. Um, it's why, you know, people with arthritis feel really stiff when you get up in the morning. Um, I feel really stiff when I get, get up in the morning and just from being immobile, like our joints need to wake up a little bit once we start having some of those injuries that you get as you get older. And with horses, it's no different. If they're not moving much, their body is going to notice it. So we're asking these horses to move just to get to their basic needs. So in order to drink, you're going to have to walk a quarter of a mile. And for horses, that might sound, you know, oh, well, that's making it more difficult for them. But if you think about horses in the wild, they're moving 30 plus miles a a day just to get to their next source of, of nutrients or their next resource. And that's what we're kind of asking these horses to do, to sort of strengthen all their soft tissue, allow them to compensate for past injuries by strengthening other areas of their body. And in turn, they're just strengthening their hooves. Their joints are getting a lot more mobile. um, And it really just just helps them overall to kind of unravel a lot of those compensations that, that they've had in the past. I'd be so much healthier with a track system for myself. A quarter mile walk to water would help a lot. Tell us about a typical week at the rehab. What's happening? What kind of changes are you seeing in horses? Yeah. So, um, so right now the first two horses that came have been here just over a week. And the coolest thing that I've noticed the second I put them on the track, it took them maybe two minutes to realize that they had a cool little, little track to zoom around. And so the first thing they did, I have a video of it is they took like a canter victory lap around the track and my track right now, um, because it's winter, we have a, 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 a winter track that I call it, um, that is about three acres. So it's the perimeter of a three acre field. And in the spring, we are, we're going to expand to a bigger track on another side of the property. But this one, they did a, a, a quick canter around the three acre field and came back up. And when they got towards the end, I could tell they're a little bit tired because they have to go up a, a big hill at the end to get back to their water. Um, and when I first got them here to put them out, they were a little bit like jiggy. They're a little bit excited, kind of snorting a little bit, blowing some steam off, getting excited to go out and bomb around. And now that they've been living out all the time on the track, they're much more even keel. Their temperament is kind of consistent. Um, I go out to see them in the morning and I call them for breakfast and they walk up to me. They're not running. They're not, you know, overdoing it and, and tweaking injuries. Um, cause a, a lot of things that I see, especially with my gelding with his DDFT tears is when I was rehabbing him and I would put him out and he had this really bad tendon tear is that if he bombed around, he came in much worse because he went from being immobile to suddenly cantering around and re-tearing and re-injuring his soft tissue. So we want to see that more consistent movement that's not like they have to run around, they have to yahoo. They're they're consistently moving at a constant pace. Um, So that's something that's really cool to watch them adjust to that. And it's really cool to see them go to the farthest area of the track because they're choosing to, because I have a few different hay stations out there and there's still some areas of grass right now as it's being kind of churned up um, before laminitic courses come, is that they'll go to the farthest area of the track and hang out and then I'll watch them 
walk all the way back up over different gravel surfaces, over the sand portion of the track, walking over different surfaces for their, you know, that's stimulating their proprioception and seeing them come up and take a big drink of water and then mosey on down back where they were. So just in getting to those different resources, it's really cool to see them not in a rush, not in a hurry, but just like consistently using their body to get to the next thing they need. So even in just one week, it's really cool to see those changes. That's awesome. Are there any prerequisites a horse needs prior to arriving at the rehab? So prerequisites. So typically what I would say is that horses that come here primarily should have a distal limb lameness. So something that is hoof based only because if I have a horse that has like a really serious issue higher up the limb, um, that might take a different approach. They, they might need some, you know, different care than what, what we're offering with focusing on the foot. So primarily it's if a horse is diagnosed with a lameness or it doesn't seem quite right and it's stemming from the lower limb. So that's really the only prerequisite. I do request that if owners don't have recent radiographs or don't have recent diagnostics, that if the horse comes here, that they allow the veterinarians here to do that. So we have a baseline and we have kind of like an intake of a, a pre-rehab sort of, you know, picture of what, what this horse was dealing with. And then, you know, after they leave, we can take some post, post-rehab diagnostics and see how that went. But other than that, um, I do prefer that if horses come here and they're shod, I prefer they actually come here in shoes and I can remove them. I tend to be kind of picky about when I pull shoes, you know, how much foot is removed, how I take the shoe off, how you transition them to barefoot. Um, and I do, you know, 90% of the time, if horses come here, I will be changing their diet, except for those that are already on a diet that's conducive to hoof rehab. So if owners are interested and they're, you know, is a wait list, then they'll, I'll ask them to change their diet before they come here. Otherwise I can do it here, but giving them that head start with a better diet and allowing them to kind of adjust already to that will help them with their comfort once they're barefoot or comfort, just, you know, moving around more on the track. Great. What kind of horses are good candidates? So I think you know, any horse that has a distal limb or, or hoof based lameness is a good candidate. I personally am super interested in, in navicular cases because of Vinny and because of visiting Rockley farm where, you know, those navicular cases had an 85% success rate of returning to full soundness. Um, and, and even competition. So navicular cases are, are really good candidates and we are by spring, we're going to be more suited for those laminitic and founder cases as we're kind of churning up and making sure that it's truly a grass free track because we want to make sure that we're not causing any kind of triggers or inflammation that way. Um, but really navicular and laminitis are two huge ones, but even horses that have, um, negative palmar or plantar angles or horses that have really weak digital cushions and really weak frogs or chronic thrush or thin soles or like flared platter feet, or even a horse that, you know, someone says, oh, they just can't be barefoot. Um, I'm not saying that horses come here and, you know, it's, it's a way to, to force them to be barefoot, but I see a horse that's uncomfortable barefoot as a horse that has some inflammation or something going on in their hoof that it's sort of like a warning sign. So before anything gets worse, giving them a head start to strengthen their feet, that is another great candidate for this kind of rehab. 
if I send my horse to you, what kinds of things should I send with it? Hmm. Well, that's tough. So basically that, you know, every horse is different. I would say that a horse that comes here, um, make sure that we have a full history of them. So what they're eating, their history and turnout, like what is, what has their herd environment been like? Um, you know, anything that you want for their daily care. So if you're putting on, you know, certain blankets a day, send them there. If you're feeding them certain things that as long as they're not problematic for rehab, you can send it along. I do provide all feed that is, you know, safe for hoof rehab as well as mineral balancing. I do test the hay here. Um, I do also supplement vitamin E and flax. Um, so a lot of the supplements that people are spending extra money on feeding, I actually provide that here because I know it's helpful for their rehab. But basically I want these horses to come as they are so we can see where they can get to. Um, but whatever the owner feels comfortable with and really feels like they're, you know, is necessary for their daily care, they can send that along. Great. If you could narrow down the three most important components in hoof rehabilitation, what would you say they are? So I've gone back and forth about this over the years. I used to say that diet was the number one component for hoof rehab. Like you, you know, diet is going to make or break rehab. And I still believe that. I still believe that diet's incredibly important, but I would actually put movement above diet just because I've seen horses that are turned out on 40, 50 acres that are forced to move a lot. And even if they eat, you know, tons of grass and have, you know, tons of grain, their feet for whatever reason are beautiful. Um, that's also true for horses that are in a lot of work. And I don't mean horses that are ridden like an hour a day, because I know that sounds like heavy work to me, that would be heavy work. Cause I don't ride as consistently as I should, but I'm talking about horses that are in like endurance training, those kind of horses, despite if I see them eating something less than ideal, I see beautiful feet on those horses. And I think it's just because their body's utilizing all these starches and carbs that I'm trying to get away from because I see it affect the feet so much. So, um, you know, diet and movement are the two main things and then good proper hoof care. You know, if I had to pick a third one, it's good proper hoof care. So whether that's just thrush treatment, making sure that you're, you're not letting any thrush take hold, making sure your horse isn't living in a mucky environment that has, you know, manure and urine everywhere, um, or, or living on, living on soiled shavings. That's another one. Um, and horses that just get a consistent hoof care schedule. But I will say that that's different for every horse. Um, like I said, Rockley Farm has horses that are self-trimming, but they have a professional that's looking at their feet all the time and checking their movement and checking their biomechanics and saying, yes, this is working for this horse and they're, they're moving enough where this is sustainable. Um, but then there are other horses that I see that they should be kept in balance every four weeks to make sure that their feet are you know, moving in a proper direction of, of growth. Wonderful. Do you think the rehab is effective for non-hoof issues? Yeah. I mean, I think that this kind of environment is good for every horse. <laughs> and I know that's probably a, a crazy statement. I know every horse is an individual, but I see horses that in this area, especially in Massachusetts, 
that are, you know, because they're valuable, because owners really love them, they want to make sure that they're safe and comfortable. And so they separate them a lot. They might not turn them out with others. They have them in stalls a lot because they don't want them to get injured. And the difference I see in horses that go from that kind of environment to then being turned out and moving a lot just in their mental state is huge. I see a lot of, you know, stable vices disappear. I see horses that used to like pace their stalls are, you know, once they're out with friends, they're not doing that anymore. Um, so I think mentally and emotionally for the horse, it's just a huge game changer. Um, horses are herd animals and I really, I think they should be out with others. Um, and I, I know that people say, especially in our area, there are show horses that are worth a lot of money. And I totally understand that. But one thing I found really cool is the gold medal winners in the Olympics, the Swedish horses that won the Olympics, they are out in a herd. <laughs> so when I see that, when I saw that video or those videos on their Instagram, that these horses in their off season are out playing with friends, it just made me really happy because, you know, those horses are, are worth more than any horse that that I've ever owned and they're able to be a horse. And also I just see, um, the physical aspect, even horses that don't have hoof issues, seeing horses move in this kind of way and naturally keeping a more muscular tone to them because they're forced to move more and over varied terrain up and down hills. It's just good for their entire body. It's like, you know, somebody who walks every day because they want to stay fit versus somebody who just sits at their desk all day. It's going to be you know, the person who's moving is going to be healthier. Absolutely. And the person who's moving all day is healthier too than the person who sits at their desk all day, but then gets up and works out really hard for an hour and goes back to sitting at their desk. Right. Much like those horse, our horses standing in stalls and then getting worked for an hour. So when a horse first shows up at the Humble Hoof Rehab, what do you do to assess the case? Yeah. So horses that first come, the first thing that I do is film their movement in slow motion. So I can see where their biomechanics are and, and how their hoof is landing, how their distal limb is moving, where they're placing their foot under the center mass, things like that. I take baseline hoof photos so we can see exactly where their feet are when they come. I also, um, utilize Metron hoof software so I can keep track of those those changes, um, from baseline to wherever we end up after rehab. And that Metron hoof software can also be used for their radiographs. So whether those radiographs are taken here with our vets or whether they're taken back, you know, before they come, I can input that into my software and mark up where they are as their like pre rehab baseline. The other thing that I have, um, and this, I, I really only utilize in certain cases, but I have a cross check leverage reduction system. And this for me is not necessarily to change anything with their hoof care, but it's just to see where they're preferring to offload their weight. So it's something that you apply to their foot. You can change this, um, block on the bottom that, that adds a wedge to different areas of their hoof. They only stand on it for a few seconds, but you can see by their willingness to stand on that boot. It's like a boot um, and, or willingness to not, or, or unwillingness to stand on it where they're the most comfortable. So it's not something that we're applying and they're living in that, or it, it doesn't mean like, oh, if they really liked a wedge on their medial heel, I'm going to stick a wedge on their medial heel permanently. It's sort of just to see where they're choosing to offload and what's most comfortable for them in that moment. And then that's something that you can compare to later on. 
But I get those pictures, videos, the documentation for Metron Hoof and Crosscheck is sort of like my baseline. Um, my ideal would be if, if horses haven't, like I said, had a recent vet appointment that they also get a lameness evaluation and diagnostics with the vet- veterinarians that are up here. So we can have that. Great. What do you think holds owners back from sending their horse to a rehab? I will say that I understand this is an alternative type of rehab. I get that it's probably different than what most owners have seen and heard. Um, and I have a lot of owners that might work with vets who recommend, you know, the more traditional kind of approach. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. And I, I respect vets so much because vets wouldn't recommend those things unless they've seen it work for other horses. And I think all of us have this past experience that we bring into each new case that we come to. Um, the thing is that when it comes to hoof rehab, I, I don't love the idea of chasing symptoms. My desire has always been to get to the root cause of an issue. And I see a lot of traditional treatments nowadays sort of chasing symptoms and covering up problems to manage a horse to keep them comfortable. And then you have to constantly for the rest of that horse's life, change their management because their conditions get worse. So my goal with this kind of rehab and what makes it different is that I'm trying to find the root cause of the problem and remove that and then strengthen them from the ground up or from the hoof up so that those problems aren't recurring and don't come back. And I think that that's really scary because it's so different to a lot of owners. So I've had, oh gosh, I've had countless people contact me and they just haven't heard of this kind of rehab. And it just feels very nerve wracking because it's something that they're not familiar with. And so I completely understand that. And until you've kind of been in the thick of it and seen horses go through it, it's really hard to see the amazing things that it can do. So, you know, I'm, if people want to schedule a time to come here, I'm always open for, you know, picking a time where someone can come do a tour and kind of hear more about what we do here, because it is something that might be unfamiliar to a lot of people. Great. Are there any risks of sending a horse to a rehab like this? I think that's a hard question to answer. I don't know that there are specifically risks any more so than sending a horse anywhere else in any kind of boarding situation. Obviously, there's never any guarantees. There's, you know, horses are individuals and there are things that can happen in any kind of situation at home or in any kind of boarding environment. So this to me is is no more of a risk than any other option that you're going to choose. But I feel like the, the benefits and the rewards are so much higher. <laughs> Great. Well, I know you're already so familiar with tracks from all that you've read about them and visiting Rockley, um, and you've been planning your own track for so long. Was there anything surprising about building your track? Um, don't build your track in the winter. <laughs> I will say that because um, the ground is very unpredictable. Um, I, I will say that I was super spoiled, like I said, with building this track because two sides of it were already totally surfaced for me. Um, so, and a lot of the drainage was already done, but there are two sides that we've had to already put in two very large French drains. Um, like I said before, uh, like muck and mud and things like that are not great for hooves and also just not great for soft tissue because they, they cause a lot of extra strain. So having to put that in while trying to beat the clock when it comes to frozen ground has been a little bit, um, you know, difficult at times. 
But um, other than that, I think that there's it's going to be a, a kind of a a living track system in the sense of we're going to have to move certain posts and corners and we're going to have to change the track based on what the horse is like and don't like. So I think over time we're going to have to adapt it. Um, we did end up, and because of that, we did end up putting in horse guard fencing, which is um, kind of a, a more permanent type electric fencing. So it does allow us to move it, but it is very secure and, and looks, I think it looks really nice. Um, but it will allow us to move the track as needed based on what we see with the horses here. It does look really nice. I was just shocked at how professional it looks. And I have a, I have a track at home, um, and have permanent fencing. And I will say, I really think it was smart that you did the, um, fencing that you can move because as you have the horses out there and you see what happens and you see what the ground does. I've often found that I have wanted to now move the track a bit. So I think that was just so smart to do it that way. Yeah. Any advice you would give someone who wants to build their own track? Um, I would say that the biggest advice is look, join some Facebook groups. There's horse track system. There's paddock paradise track system. There's a whole bunch of different Facebook groups and there are thousands of people that have done it way before I ever have. So they're going to have the most from experience kind of, uh, uh, advice when it comes to that. And also Amy Dell, um, she is a track system livery or track system boarding facility owner in the UK. She just published a book, a book a few months ago called horse track systems. And that book is incredible. That is like the track system Bible. It has everything that comes to her dynamics, introducing new horses, putting in fencing, putting in footing, drainage, um, how to feed horses on a track, how to run a business on a track. So I would say definitely pick up that book. But my biggest advice I would say is just try it. I mean, there's, there's really no wrong way to do it as long as you have safe fencing and you consider, you know, make it wide enough so that horses can get away from others, especially in the corners. But, you know, I think that trying it, you can always change it. Like I said, if you have movable fencing, you can always change it based on what you see, but sometimes you just got to jump in, I think. And it's tempting to think that if you don't have much space, there's no point in having a track. I personally have a very small amount of space and and it was incredible to see the difference that the track made in my horse's movement from paddocks to the track. What has been the hardest part of getting to this point? Oh gosh. Um, I think that, oh man, that's tough. I feel like the whole journey was so many up and downs. That's why I feel like that's a hard question to answer. But the the hardest part was the waiting. I, I know that's not really an answer, but, you know, knowing 10 years ago that I wanted to have a track system rehab and then coming up with a plan to get there, I it sort of was like, what is my first step? I, I, I wasn't really sure. And I was a, a music teacher at that time. I wasn't even in hoof care. And I said, okay, my first step is I want to learn as much about hoof care as I can, because I will not be able to be successful in like a, a track system rehab if I don't understand how the hoof works and how to make it healthier. And so I said, okay, my first step is to become certified in hoof care. And so, you know, that was making a plan was one of the hardest things. Cause every single step, it's like, you can't just say, I want to have a hoof rehab facility and then do it. It's all those baby steps to get to this point and trying to figure out what next step you have to take 
to bring you closer to your goal. And I think that's hard in any profession, in any field, in anything you want to do with your horse even, is trying to find those baby steps that are going to get you closer to your goal and then being patient. (laughs) And I'm not one to be patient. So that was really hard. But yeah, just taking that, taking those baby steps and looking for what next step I could do to get to where I want to be. Anything else you want to say about your incredible rehab? Um, I'm just really thankful. I'm really thankful for my clients and horse owners that have been super supportive and also have let me work on their horses and try new things. I'm really thankful for the mentors and teachers and farriers and trimmers and hoof care providers and body workers and veterinarians that have been, you know, really, really amazing at putting time into helping me learn more. Um, and I'm, I'm just really thankful to everybody who's been involved to help me get to this point. Um, I definitely couldn't have done it alone. There's no way. And I can't, you know, I won't be able to continue doing it without having that amazing support system. So, um, the biggest thing I want to say is that I'm just really thankful for others who have come alongside me with this and for those people who are trusting me with their horses and watching them progress and, and seeing them return to soundness and we get to kind of celebrate those things together. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I just want to say thank you. <laughs> You're incredible, Alicia. Well, thank you so much for being willing to like <laughs> interview me. It was really, really fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. All See right. Ya. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.